0: What a joy it is to be here again and to share God's word with one another. You know, we have a tremendous lesson this morning and I only pray that you would be blessed as I have been blessed looking into the word of God and digging into the word of God and this is a tremendous theme for this morning, the coming messianic kingdom. If you want to turn to it already, that's fine. I'm really excited about those things which the Lord unfolds to us if we only trouble ourselves and study the Word of God. I still feel the same way as I felt 20 years ago when I gave my heart to the Lord and started to read the Word of God. You know, I felt like an explorer who who puts his feet on virgin land. A tremendous and wonderful world opened up to me. And uh, I can't explain to you the joy and the blessing I had, and I still have. And a lifetime is not enough to dig all the treasures out of the Word of God. The world will not understand it and cannot understand it, but is given unto us, those with belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more we read, and the more we study, the more we are blessed, and the more light we get from the Word of God. And the more complete picture we get what the future holds for us and for all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes I feel like sitting in front and over a jigsaw puzzle, you know. And as you compare piece and piece And as you study Scripture and Scripture and compare those portions with each other and you see how things fall in place, it really thrills the heart. And it's fantastic. But as we go about to look into our text and read some of the great portions concerning the coming Kingdom Age, let us observe some of the basic facts concerning understanding prophecy. First of all, there must be faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be born again. You must be indwelt by the Holy Spirit to understand the Scripture. If we have no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have no understanding. The Bible is just a book and can be very boring if we read it. But there must be faith in the Lord Jesus, because faith in the Lord Jesus is the key to understand the Scripture. The Word of God makes this very clear when Paul spoke about his brethren, the Jews. And that there is a veil upon the hearts of the Jews when they read the Scripture. And this veil will be taken away when they come to know the Lord Jesus. And what is true for the Jew is true for everyone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus yet. We will never understand the second coming of the Lord Jesus unless we have taken by faith the first coming of the Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God when he died for us on Calvary's cross. Secondly, there is another basic fact which we have to realize, for there is a tremendous confusion among Christians concerning the coming kingdom age. If we reject Israel's future as an earthly people, as it is unfolded in the word of God to us, and spiritualize everything with the neo-orthodox, and the liberals, then we have no understanding what the future holds for us. We must give Israel the rightful place which it holds in the word of God. And if we do not do this, then there is tremendous confusion ahead for us. And we will not understand the thing, only that we are just being saved. But as far as prophecy is concerned, there is tremendous confusion, and we will not understand. There is a day coming, there is a day set by God where He will interfere with man and where all human government will cease. And this is quite thrilling for the believer. Things will not go indefinitely on. As far back as the early church where Paul stood up in Athens, he spoke those words in Acts uh, 17. God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Commands he said it as early as far back as at that time. He commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men, and that he has raised him from the dead. There's where our assurance is. Jesus is risen. Our assurance of salvation. God has accepted his sacrifice. And now we have assurance and we will not come into that day of judgment. God has to step into the history of man. Finally, God will speak the last word. God will take the action, the rulership, out of the hands of man. God has to stop the madness of man. I don't have to go into many details. You read the paper, you listen to radio and television, you know what our scientists tell us. The pollution, the famines, the overkill which is there in the world. No details are necessary. You know it. You know, I never forget when, for the first time, we got to Niagara Falls, as is some years back. And uh, we came late in the evening, and we heard the thundering waters. We didn't see them. It was late, and we got to bed in our hotel. But you hear all, day, uh, all night long those thundering waters. And I was very, very anxious to go out and see. And as soon as it was a little bit light, I left my family behind. They were fast asleep. I got up and I got over in my car to uh, Goat Island, as it's called. And it's fantastic. I was the only one there. It's fantastic to experience those rushing waters. You know, and there's a point where they tell you there is the point of no return. If you would fall in there, the waters, you wouldn't get out. The waters would tumble you over and over again and would finally throw you over the edge and it would go down into the fall. And I couldn't help when I was standing there and watching those thundering uh, thundering waters that we already have passed the point of no return as far as the world is concerned, as far as human history is concerned, as far as our individual lives are concerned, not knowing Jesus Christ. That with other words, there must be a force stronger than we to take us out of there and to put our feet on a rock. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ who snatches us out from there. And what is true for the individual life is true for the history of the church of Jesus Christ. He snatches us away before the judgments of God will fall on this earth. Doesn't Jesus say in John uh, 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that hears my voice and believes on him that has sent me has everlasting life and will not come into judgment but is passed from death unto life. This is marvelous. This is wonderful. There's a group of people which the scripture says has no hope. You know, when we come to this wonderful portion in the scripture in Thessalonica 4:13, we see that the church is snatched away to meet the Lord in the air. But it goes on in 13, it says, as others which have no hope. So that there is another group which has no hope. There are many people which have no hope whatsoever. I talked yesterday to a a Jewish man, a, a piano tuner, and spent quite some time with him, he had no hope whatsoever. He said, what's the best we can do is to try to live a good life. And then we have to make room for the next generation. No hope. Two weeks ago, I was in a Jewish home here in in Woodmere. Very rich people. He is a sculptor. As a beautiful home. Last year I witnessed to them, that was the last time I tuned their piano, they go and live in Florida and then they come back for the summer as many people do, and many rich people do. So I had another opportunity to, to witness to them again. And she said, I can't forget, Mr. Moore, what you told us, but we can't believe it. I said, we have accepted the fate which God gave to us. The husband is paralyzed completely. That happened already last year. Now things are worse. She is a very sick woman. Now they have to sell the house. He said, and this is what God's, is in God's plan for everyone. That's what he said. We have to leave this earth. That will be the end of everything. We have lived a, a full life we have seen many things we have seen the whole world we have to be satisfied it is very hard to go very hard to leave but we have to make room for the next generation no hope and I stopped I said no no there's much more to life and Jesus came that we might have life and might have an abundant life and then We come to Christendom and say, Pray many every day, and many times senseless and many times thoughtless, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Do we know what we are praying? And now let us read Isaiah 2, 2 to 4. Let us read it together. Isaiah 2, 2-4, where it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come he, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his path. For out of Zion shall forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks, Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Thank you. So it is clear that God speaks here about an earthly kingdom. This is not a kingdom in heaven, this is a kingdom here on earth. And when we come to Revelation, we see that this kingdom will last for 1,000 years. That is what we call millennium. There is, of course, a great confusion going on among Christians, as I have mentioned it before. Those which say that Israel has no future, that all what is uh, what is spoken of about Israel in Scripture has to be spiritualized and is interchangeable with the Church, the Bride of Jesus Christ. Some say that the millennium is already here. That is not so. We reject this view. For the simple facts that the Messiah is not sitting yet on the throne of his father David in Jerusalem, the house of God is not established yet, the kingdoms of the earth are still there. And the kingdom of God. Has not yet consumed all those kingdoms, as the scripture said, it would happen. Now our text speaks clearly about an earthly kingdom. We see that Jerusalem is the center here of the world. That the word of God is coming forth from Jerusalem. That the house of the Lord, the temple, will be established there in Jerusalem. All those things we don't see yet. When well, when you read, and you come uh, here, you read in the second verse, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established, high above all other hills. You know, I did really some research here to find out what the word of God means. And I have to come to the conclusion that mountain here means a kingdom. It is not so that the mountain where the Lord's house is on in Jerusalem and will be on, will be physically higher than all the mountains of the earth. Then it would be that it had to be higher than even the Himalaya. No one would make it to the top there. That is not so. The disfigurative speech here and we have to compare Scripture with Scripture. What it means is God's kingdom will be high above all other kingdoms. The kingdom of God will consume all other kingdoms. How do I know? Because the Scripture says so. Turn with me to, to Daniel. I'm so thrilled about Daniel. Daniel. Daniel is the second chapter, 31 to 35. Now this is what we read here. Thou, O King, sawest and behold a great image. And you know what the story is about. You know that the king Nebuchadnezzar there in Babylon had this tremendous dream and he was frightened about that dream. But when he woke up in the morning, it was gone from him and he didn't remember what he had dreamt through in the night. But he knew that it was a frightening thing and it was a boring question in his heart. What was it? What I dreamt. I want to find out. I have to find out. I never would find rest. I never would have a, 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 a sleepful night if I wouldn't find out. And you know how the story goes. He calls all the astrologers and all the wise men and all the magicians of Babylon together. And he asked them to tell him the dream he had. And of course the man couldn't do a thing. He said, you tell us first your dream and then we will give you the interpretation. But the king got very mad and he signed a decree to kill all the magicians and all the astrologers and all the wise men of Babylon. At that time a king could do this. We don't have such a kind of kingdom anymore and I'll tell you later why. Where a king is absolute ruler, where he can do everything, where he is Lord, over all his subjects, over their lives and over their deaths. Those times are gone. Later we'll say a word about that. But then Daniel was brought before the king, and through prayer, and Daniel being a man of God, God reveals that what is humanly impossible to the king. And when Daniel had finished his interpretation and the dream, Nebuchadnezzar knew that this was from God. He didn't stop him once. He knew that Daniel was a man of God and that he the authority of God was talking to him. And he shut up. He didn't say a word. And Daniel comes before the king and he tells him the dream and the interpretation. And there is what it, uh, what it says here, Thou, O King, in 31 of Daniel's second chapter, Thou, O King, sawest and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before Thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then when the iron, then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. That's a mountain. That's the kingdom of God, which will finally consume all other kingdoms you know what this image is about we have here four world powers represented the hat is gold and this is king nebuchadnezzar the breast and the arms are silver the belly and the thighs of brass the legs of iron and then the feet part iron and clay we cannot go into details, but just let me mention this, that the first kingdom is Babylon, the second one is media persia with Alexander, the third one is Greece, the fourth one is Rome, which has been crushed and will be revived according to Daniel and according to Revelation in the last days. We have no detail, uh, no, no time for details. But if you really want a blessing, pick up the book of Dr. Lehman Strauss, The Prophecies of Daniel. Tremendous book. We heard uh, Lehman Strauss speak on two weeks, uh, for two weeks, about Daniel. He just scratched a little bit the surface of that what is all in, in the book of Daniel. It is fantastic. If you want a real blessing concerning what the future holds for us, pick up that book. It is a wonderful book. I don't have many books, but this one I have, and I have been greatly blessed as I went through this. So this image represents the cause and the end of human government upon the face of the earth. It represents the gen- Gentile powers. And here we see that the mountain of the Lord is that kingdom which is going to come. There are many other references, I can't go into them. But after all those empires will have run their course, God will set up his kingdom. If You just turn to the next page, you find on, uh, in verse 44 again the same interpretation. It says there, And in the days of these kings, that these are the last ruling kings on the earth, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It will be the messianic kingdom, and people have no part in it to raise up their voice. That's what we see now. You know, the voice of the people gets stronger and stronger. And governments are paralyzed. They can't do anything. They can't govern anymore. And the scripture has a good deal to say about these times. But it will be not left to other people. There will be no riots going on. No peace demonstrations because there will be peace. But we will not have peace until the prince of peace comes. Those people which cry out peace, they cannot bring peace about because they have no peace to give. I can only give that what I have. They have no peace. Scripture says this very clearly. The godless have no peace. God's word is clear. But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand uh, forever. This is what it means. The mountain of the Lord will be high above all other hills. But now, to understand better what is going to come and what is going to happen, let us see and realize that there is a deterioration, a devaluation of metals as we start from the hat and go down. There is a descending value of the metals, isn't it? And when we come down to the clay, that is no metal at all. We see that this whole image stands on very weak feet. That is how human government is, outwardly very strong. And yet from inside it's crumbling down, the clay. But what does it mean that Nebuchadnezzar is the gold and then we come down and we see this devil, uh, devaluation? Did it mean that Babylon was a righteous kingdom, pure in the eyes of God? No, definitely not. All governments, all human governments, are wicked. And we see an increase of this in Scripture and in human history. But what does it mean? Let me say that it has something to do with the absolute rulership of the type of government which we see. See, Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute ruler, as I said before. He was a lord over life and death of his people. The world has never seen in this form a government again. We come to the next one Media Persia. It isn't seen there anymore. Already the kingdom is divided in four parts. And a little bit of this democratic uh, rulership gets into the government. It is not absolute anymore. So that we see here devaluation in this regard. And today we have governments which are weak, tremendously weak, where the responsibility is divided among many. And this is true of communist countries too. Let me tell you that each one of those ruling bodies in those countries is afraid of the next one sitting next to him, those ruling Gremians. The voice of the people take over in our days. And this will be more and more until the cry comes for the strong man. Antichrist will come. He will promise them. And I remember what Hitler did. And Germany was all down. And some millions of people without jobs in the streets. There was hunger, confusion, perplexity. Oh, there was something going on. And I remember in our hometown, Essen, where we lived for five years, that on one day there was a riot going on and 32 people got killed in front of the townhouse. There's nothing new what is going on now. That the cry of the strong man came. And Hitler said, give me four years. Give me four years. All I ask for four years of rulership. And I will bring order. And I will give you bread. And I will give you work. And he did it. This gives us a little bit of a picture of what will be. And what is already seen in our time. So we see when those kingdoms have run their course God will interfere. We see that this mountain, the kingdom of God will fill the whole earth. People are crying out for peace. And what a blessed time it will be when the Prince of Peace will bring peace. And those of you which have gone through war know how strong that cry for real peace can be. Elizabeth and I, we were just young kids when this all happened, where we spent every night down in the shelter, and you hear the waves after waves of airplanes coming, and this boring question in the heart, will it be for us? Is it us now, tonight? that you have to die many times it wasn't and they went on to cologne to other cities oh and you saw a firework then we saw that it wasn't for us and we would go on the rooftop and we would watch what a firework going on you know those exploding bombs and many times we said oh if this would only stop you are happy to to, to have hunger and to be sick or anything. But if the senseless killing would stop. And then, when the war was over, you know, all those tracks on the road, people running away from the Russians. And I remember the story, I just mentioned only this one, you know, of a dear lady which uh, uh, belongs to our home church in Essen, Mrs. Mauer, Elizabeth knows her well. Lord had given them, late in life, a baby, and they were very happy. But they had to flee, and the girl was 18 years old, and they had to flee. They were overtaken by the Russians. The Russians put them in the field, and they had to work, but the Russians didn't give them food. The girl couldn't make it to the field anymore. Well, the people would eat what they would find, you know, raw potatoes, or apples, you know, many got sick, many died. But in the morning, the Russians would drive them out in the field to work. The girl couldn't make it anymore. And I remember Mrs. Mao say, oh, it is so terrible. See a girl, seeing dying and asking for milk. Mother, give me a little bit of milk. Mother, don't you have milk for me? Mother didn't have milk, had nothing, and so she died. And I mean, this is what happened in Germany. It happened all over the world. It happens right now. We see only that what we experience. What the Russians or what the Americans did to us, the Germans did to the others. Don't get me wrong. You know what I mean. Oh, this cry for peace—it is deep inside the human soul. But there cannot be peace until the prince, until the priest the prince of uh, peace comes. Just imagine when this time comes and there will be finally peace on earth. What it will be? I read that the last world war has cost three hundred and twenty-four billion dollars. Millions of lives were lost. And then I read in a report, Gallup Institute, that all those families of the nations involved in that war, the money would have been taken and given to those families, that each family would have a $60,000 home, several cars would have a country home, would have an income, a yearly income, of $20,000. This was the figure after the war. The dollar was more worse then. Can you imagine what it will be when war will cease on the earth? Then, as in our text, it is said that Jerusalem will be the center of the world. And then it will become true what is also said in Revelation 11:15, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. But let me remind you that there is a judgment coming first. Because this earth has to be purified, in order to enjoy that kingdom. Let me tell you that there are two major judgments coming. There is the judgment of the living nations which will take place before the kingdom of God will come on this earth. This we read in Matthew 25, 31 to 46, and in Joel 3. This will take place after the tribulation, but before the millennium. There is a judgment of the great white throne, which we find which will take place after the millennium has run its course. This will be not on the earth. The earth will be gone then, if you want to make a note of this. Read it, Revelation 20. 11 to 15. The earth will be gone then, it will be somewhere in the sphere, somewhere in the heaven. We have dealt with that judgment which are going to come, the judgment of the living nations, we have dealt with it a few weeks ago. And I, th- I, I would like you to turn to it for just a moment to see a few aspects in this uh, judgment which is going to come. This is uh, Matthew 25, and we find it in 31 to 46. We see here the judge, and he is judging the nations. He will come in his glory. It says here the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him. That is 31. And then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. And then he will uh, divide them, and he will say to those on his right hand, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungered, and so on, and he gave me meat, and I was thirsty, and he gave me drink the left one he will uh, send them into everlasting punishment and they will strangely enough say the same thing lord when did we see you hungry and haven't given you meat you know both groups are astonished you know the way the judgment goes so let me tell you that the basis of judgment by which the gentiles the Gentile nations will be judged then is tested as they have treated a third group which is called my brethren which are the Jews. See this is after the tribulation and the Jews will be the great missionaries of this world. They will be proclaiming the gospel. But many will be martyrs, and many will die, and many will be killed. As a matter, matter of fact, two-thirds of them will be killed, and only a remnant will be left. But they will be the great missionaries. pastor has spoken about this many times. In Isaiah 66:19, we read, And I will send those that escaped of them unto the nations that have not heard of my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. These are the Jews, which will be the missionaries. And as the world is going against Israel, and as as all the nations will go and fight Israel, and the great battle of Armageddon will take place, the judgment of God will fall. But what a great and blessing time will come. No war. We read that they will take their swords and make them into plowshares. I right? have read once the same scripture verse chiseled into stone at the UN. And I'm sure you have too, don't you? But why don't we have this now? Why is man not able to bring peace? simply because they leave God out. They leave him completely out of picture. This is not only true for the communist countries, this is true for the West as well. I never forget when I heard President Johnson say in, in one speech and said, as the scripture says, I can do everything so I can do it. He stopped there in the middle of a sentence, and it didn't go on and say, through him who strengthens me, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. He left him out. You remember the inauguration of uh, uh, President Nixon. And then you have been greatly blessed what Billy Graham had to say and how he brought the scripture in and the spiritual aspect of it. And then you heard Nixon. And you hear him today. Man will bring peace. They leave God completely out. Do you hear it? Well, we are not surprised to hear it from the Russians. They are not mentioning God. They leave Him out. But what about our own country? Therefore, never man will be able to bring peace. It will be only in the kingdom age. And I think time is going on. I have so much more to say. But time is going on, oh dear. Where should we stop? I wanted to read Isaiah eleven. I want to read Isaiah nine. But let's read Isaiah nine and let's let's close with this marvel portion of scripture. Isaiah nine. Uh, and let's read from verse two to verse six. No, first 7, and then we will close. There it says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy. Admit not here, that is not in the original. It says, and increase the joy. The joy before thee, according to the joy in harvest, And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressors, as in the day of Midian. I wanted to go into this and to tell you that uh, this was a tremendous victory which the Lord fought for Israel. The Midianites, they had uh, uh, thought in their hearts, we are going to finish Israel completely. And the poor people got an army together of 20,000 people, but the Midianites were so uh, great in number that it says you couldn't count them. Like the sand on the sea, they came and they said, we will do away with Israel and that's it. But God fought. And out of this 20,000 people, he took 300 men, Gideon. And they fought and they won the battle. So will it be with Israel in the last battle. God will strive for them and will save them. This in essence says the same as it says in Isaiah 2, 2-4 here. But see who brings this about. Now it goes on. For unto us a child is born. The child will do it. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. If you have any doubt who the person of the Lord Jesus is, read this portion. The everlasting Father, the mighty God. You see, in a wonderful way, the Trinity here. And yet there is the Son given, and there is the child born. How wonderful. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever and who will do it the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it not man he will do it praise God dear heavenly father thank you so much for those few moments which we could which we could spend in thy word how glorious how wonderful it is to our hearts father what the future holds for us oh father and how do we cry out with thy word and with the man who wrote it Come quickly, Lord Jesus, that this all will be stopped, the madness of man, O oh Father, and that the Prince of Peace can come and may come. Oh, may we be ready, Father, anyone among us who doesn't know the Lord Jesus as personal Savior. We pray that such a heart will be open now. Invite him in and receive salvation, Father, that it may not go into judgment, but may be turned from death unto life. Bless us throughout this day, Father, and we give thee the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.